You are listening to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com with an orchard of wisdom just ready for your picking, filled with illuminating, inspiring stories. Do check out the community and the discovery stores. We are here for you. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Choose Positive Living. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Peter Rosenberger. Who takes care of the caregivers? We need so many more caregivers in this aging population. Not only aging, people are becoming sicker than they ever were before. Why is that? I thought we had more medicine. I thought we had more miracles out there. Why do we have such a sick nation, sick global nation? And who does take care of those caregivers that work so tirelessly and very often um, are ignored themselves? Where is the help for them in the work that they do? Bureaucracy gets in the way. Somebody counting numbers are deciding between the life and the death of people. We have to change the system, folks, because it is very much broken. And Peter is out there doing that by bringing awareness uh, to um, the caregivers and what they need, how we are aging and how the demand on caregivers is going to be even more, what kind of support the caregivers actually do need, what kind of rules and regulations we need to change. And remember, folks, if you want change, you've got to be the change. You've got to stand up for the change. It's not just sit back and moan about it. It's get up and do something about it. So what can you do? Let's find out from Peter exactly what we can do to help the caregivers. If we are a caregiver, what we can do to seek the um, aid and need that we have. And if we are somebody that is facing an illness, how do we find a caregiver in this government world that keeps with cutbacks, cutbacks and more cutbacks? So welcome to the show, Peter. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. I do appreciate you taking the time to discuss this issue. And, you know, I was listening to you rattle off the um, the alarming statistics and situation and scenarios that we're facing as a country, as a nation, and really globally. Mm-hmm. And um, the miracle of modern medicine is that we are treating a lot of things, and we're living longer, but... But there, there is a downside to this. You know, I, 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 my wife and I spent a lot of time at Walter Reed and um, uh, meeting with wounded military personnel. And we were saving during the Gulf War and all this time we've been doing all this stuff in Afghanistan and Iraq. We've been able to save wounded soldiers uh, much more effectively than we did in, in Vietnam. The death toll would be just astronomical if we were still dealing with Vietnam medicine. But we're dealing with higher survival rates, but we're saving them for a lifetime of disability mm-hmm. and impairments and difficulties. And that brings on a whole new set of challenges, uh, particularly for family caregivers, um, because you've got people that are are dealing with maimed bodies, traumatic brain injuries, and all kinds of things, uh, PTSD, and then they've got to deal with this for the lifetime of it, and we haven't caught, if, it's hard, if, I guess, if you will, if you'll pardon the expression, we haven't caught up with the cure. Uh, we saved a lot of people from death. We're treating a lot of people uh, with, with uh, long-term illness and so forth, but now we're living longer with a different set of problems because of what we saved them from. 
Mm-hmm. If, that's, if, that, if that makes sense. No, it's, it, it, it 100% about. makes sense. I interview an awful lot of veterans and, um, you know, post-traumatic stress, a lot of people think it's just the veteran's disease, but it's, it's, it's a really relevant d- disease with everybody today because they're all going through f- some form of stress. And, you know, my dad died at 46 after the Second World War because it was suckered up, man. You know, you don't talk about the war, you don't talk about the horrors, the, any of the effects that it had on you. And we may have our soldiers come back injured, uh, but even if their body is whole, you know, their spirit, their heart, their psyche isn't. And we are seeing them being thrown to the wayside and doing shows on homelessness. Many of the homelessness are veterans. Is this the way you treat your people that, you know, has went to uh, save your country, to save your life, and this is the way that we treat them? We're not even recognizing some of the problems that uh, people are having or how to cope with them because so many of this is new territory isn't it it is and and like i said we haven't caught up with the cure Mm -hmm. and that applies across the board not only to veterans but it applies to uh folks that are being living longer but that's not their their bodies are living longer but their minds aren't necessarily living long yes and and we have uh and then we're, we're more effectively diagnosing individuals with uh, things such as autism or whatever. Uh, there are a lot of different things that are going on, and while I applaud the advancements being made in certain things, prosthetics and antibiotics and, and surgeries and all kinds of things and medicines and so forth, uh, it, we, we can never take any type of... Uh, uh, rest period and thinking we're out in front of this by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the human body and the human heart and the human mind is just way too complex. So you show me somebody who's living with some kind of uh, lengthy impairment, and I'll show you the significant relationships that are drastically affected by this. And, yeah. uh Every relationship. I mean, relationships are always challenged even when everybody's healthy. But if somebody's facing a health challenge, you know, like your wife is, um, it is going to be a strain. And, of course, the person who's the loved one doesn't want, you know, to have it that, oh, this is a strain. I love her. I'm going to do whatever I need to do for her. But, again, we're human. We have limits. There's only so much we can give before we start breaking down. My brother looked after my aging mother. He ended up having a heart attack in doing it. Because he was home there, they thought, you don't need any support. You're there. And this is wrong because we're making people who are ill-equipped to be caregivers on that extended level um, to be more than what they are capable of being. And they're, therefore, are paying a price in that caregiving as well. Well, that's exactly right, and and you know, caregivers are being asked to do things that, uh, in the not too distant past, were only allowed to be done by medical trained medical professionals. Yes. Yeah, uh, I, I myself have uh, changed very complex dressings uh, that involve uh, main lines. I've 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 uh, uh, admitted I, I've held in my hands you know, millions of dollars of street value of opioids. Um, and and I've, I've even scrubbed up and assisted on one procedure. Uh, you know, name it, I've done it. And just, just lifting a patient mm-hmm. from, from a wheelchair to a bed or helping them get there, people get training for that, and yet family caregivers don't. No, no. Um, and so this is, this is what has me concerned. I mean, I've been a caregiver now for over 30 years. And uh, through, a, through a pretty serious medical nightmare that is involving 
Uh, well, we're actually getting a, a CT scan tomorrow for my wife, uh, and, uh, and then she's getting a uh, surgery, looks like, scheduled on her elbow. Uh, that'll be her 79th operation wow. that we can count. Mm. Uh, both legs amputated in the 90s. This was a horrible car wreck she had back in 83 when she was a freshman in college. I didn't know her at the time. She came back from school uh, after a lengthy recovery, and uh, she she limped. Uh, I saw that she limped, and, and she had noticeable scars on her lower legs. Just an amazing gal. And uh, I, I really was quite taken with her and smitten with her, and I didn't have any frame of reference of what it was like to be in a relationship with somebody who was hurt. And, you know, I, I was remember I was asking a, a fellow the other day who's taking care. I mean, he was asking me about the journey of a caregiver. And I said, well, imagine the last time that your wife had the flu. And he said, okay. And I said, now, how did it affect the house? He said, well, things just didn't get done. I said, who, who stepped up to do the cooking? He said, well, I did. And I said, how about getting the kids to school? Well, I had to, you know, how, did, how did it affect your work? Well, I had to miss the work. And I said, how long was she sick? He said, three days. And I said, we're way past three days. We're 31 years. Mm-hmm. So you had that much impact on your family with a three-day flu. When you deal with a medical catastrophe on the level of what we deal with, that is 80-plus doctors have treated her, 12 different hospitals, seven different insurance companies, well over $10 million, you're looking at, you know, a, a, a life-altering set of circumstances. And if the caregiver, which in this case is me, is not in a good place, how is this going to impact the loved one? Yeah. Uh, what happens to my wife if I'm not in a healthy place? And uh, emotionally, physically, financially, professionally, um, spiritually, all these things have to play into it. And, and you know, I think what, what brought me to my conversation with you today is a recently a conversation I've had uh, in the media uh, that started with an op-ed that I wrote about this whole whole uh, opioid issue. And um, I am, um, in fact, uh, after we finish today, I'll be on the on a conference call with Health and Human Services in Washington, talking about that. I've been looped into a conversation with them, which I'm very thrilled to do and represent caregivers because once again, our our government um, is weighing into the whole health care arena with sweeping changes like they did with Obamacare and now with the opioid crisis and whatever else is coming. Uh, Washington thinks it's a good idea. But they seem to leave out this one group of individuals who's doing all the work. Yeah. We're yes. the ones that are keeping on the rails. My wife's doctor sees her 15, 20 minutes at a time. I see her 24-7. And, and, you know, and, and all the time I've handled these opioids, I've gone to the pharmacy back and forth. The doctor's written all kinds of prescriptions. This has been going on since Reagan's presidency. No one, Sarah, has ever looked at me across the prescription pad or the pharmacy desk and said, hey, dude, we're putting a lot of chemicals in your wife's body over a long period of time. You might want to get some help for you. You might want to go to a support group. Here's a list of some things that may be helpful for you. Maybe talk to a social worker or a counselor or somebody. You know, astoundingly enough, Sarah, nobody's ever said that to you. No, and because there's very few of those support groups out there, and they're generally started by people who see the, you know, civilians who see the need for it. Um, I have a nurse, Anne Rand, that um, Anne Bird, that I um, interviewed, who was a 
um, a dementia and Alzheimer's nurse for 30, 40 years. And she's now gone out on her own there to help people prepare for it. Because they said so many people, all of a sudden, their family has dementia. They have no idea how to handle it, no idea how to prepare for it. And it's so traumatizing for the person that's actually going through it because they're in and out. They're not completely lost yet. And it's a... It it's better to give them the empowerment of where they're going to go when it gets too tough and uh, when they decide it's too much for their loved one, their caregiver. Um, if there's so much needed in the art of caregiving, but as you said, it's a complete and utter void. And unless it's started by somebody who actually, you know, civilian who sees the need for it, we're not seeing any support whatsoever. Well, that's what I'm doing. And on exactly. my show, uh, I... I have now included a special guest that comes in, uh, you know, once a month or so from British Columbia and uh, originally from London, and she uh, she talks a little bit like you, Sarah. And <laughs> I'm she, from British uh, Columbia too. <laughs> well, she's, you probably know her, and Tracy Maxfield. Do you know Tracy? No, I don't actually. Well, she's she's moved to British Columbia, but she's she's a wonderful dementia care nurse, thirty five something years uh, as a dementia care nurse. And so we, we decided, you know what, we need to have this as a regular feature, yeah. just to have her come in. And we, and we don't give generalizations. We don't, we don't paint with the broad brush. We mm-hmm. pull out the tiny brushes, and we'll take one tiny issue and deal with that. Uh, like the first time she came on, we talked just about sundowning. Okay? A lot of people have no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're educating them. And then she just came on recently, and we talked about uh, tips for specific tips for people uh, to to do during the holidays, which can be a little bit overwhelming for any good situation. And then with families, I mean, with dementia, it kind of takes it into a whole other level here. Yes. And uh, and so we're going to continue doing that kind of stuff. But I bring in uh, different kinds of experts and resources uh, to aggregate them all so that the caregivers are uh, – because one of the issues that caregivers struggle with, Sarah, is isolation. We, we caregivers live with three – what I call three eyes. Uh, we, we lose our independence, we lose our identity, and we become isolated. And it's in that isolation that we make often terrible decisions. Um, I, I know this from experience. Um, so I, I'm determined I'm going to penetrate in that isolation. I'm the first ever syndicated radio host for caregivers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, it, it, I look at this as a, as a tremendous privilege to speak to this group and a responsibility. I, you know, I, I would be a poor steward of all the, the love and the insight that have been provided to me over the years. And even my own mistakes, Sarah, I'd be a poor steward of that if I didn't go out there and share with my fellow caregivers in, in a way that's cohesive and meaningful to them. I, I speak fluent caregiver. I, I get it. I understand it. And I have enough skin in this game that, that even though other people who may have different set of circumstances than me, uh, they can still respect the journey, and they'll at least give me a fair shake to listen to me. Exactly. And, and, and this is what I'm on a mission to do, is to, to grab as many caregivers as I possibly can and help them get to safety, a well-lit path to safety where they can catch their breath, and then give them some, some great information to help them start building success and healthiness in their own life so that they can effectively withstand this. Uh, There's not a solution for caregivers. Um, Basically, it ends when there's a funeral. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the question is, whose funeral is it going to be? Exactly. Is it going to be the caregivers or the patients? It's like your brother. Yeah. You know, he had a heart attack when he's in his 40s. He was in his uh, 50s, it, yes. 50s, I'm sorry. But if you're taking care of uh, somebody with full-blown Alzheimer's, they estimate it takes five to ten years off the life of a caregiver. Yes. It will age you. It will age you. Yes. Uh, now, think about a child with autism, depending on where they are on the spectrum. Think about a child with with uh, cerebral palsy, depending on, you know, there, there's various levels of this. I have a niece that has cerebral palsy. She is 30 years old. She is basically like a one, 18-month-old. She has, She's cognitively like that. And my brother and his wife have been caring for she got two guys in the same family with 60-plus years of caregiving experience. And um, and what does that do to my brother and to my sister-in-law? Uh, the, the, the journey is, is brutal. And people don't know what to say. They don't know how to respond. Uh, the government just basically all but ignores us. Um, and, and, and most people, uh, because there's not a cohesive convention of caregivers, if you will. Exactly. Uh, we're, Which we're we need to see caregiving. more of. Yes. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I but, know from the people I've interviewed with, with uh, children of autism um, or you know, somebody else who vaccines ended up with her child being a paraplegic and, and um, mentally couldn't speak. She literally spoke with fluttering her eyes um, and, you know, their lack of support. And what they were told basically is your child is damaged, put it in an institution and go and have another one. You know, and they had to learn through trial and tribulation, through the dark, on how to raise those children. You know, the feces on the walls, the temper tantrums, the everything else that they had to go through. And But now they are the support for others. Um, and they've formed their own organizations and books and, and teachings to help other people through it. Um, and I celebrate them as I know you do. And that's the trouble, isn't it, is that, People are having to go through the dark uh, to find any form of light that they're now shedding, you know, that light on well, other people. But it's you where and I are going to change that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We need to support them. We need to, to show them they have a voice and they have our support and they most certainly have our gratitude. And the more that we keep bringing this to the forefront, the more we recognize what the problem is. When you know what the problem is, you now can step up with what solutions can be in place. And first and foremost is help for the caregivers. Um, and, you know, it's not just the support um, of what they need, because, as you know, it's a 24-hour situation. Where is their respite? Where is their break? Where is their time to literally just have a nice bubble bath or get a good night's sleep? You know, the simple things that people take for granted that they don't realize that caregivers that are 24-7, it is a luxury and they can feel guilty in doing that because what happens if something happens while I'm in the bath or while I'm having that good night's sleep? Well, this is one of the things that I deal with. Let's go back to autism, for example. So many parents can't get a good night's sleep because their child with autism will get up and, and walk out the door. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so there's a lot of technology that's being uh, available now in the marketplace to help monitor it. Let technology monitor that child so that you don't have to yeah. and you can sleep and, and make sure the doors are properly secured and so forth. And I help point people to those directions. Um, Lots of different things like that. We're trying to be as innovative as possible. And I've found that, and I don't know, you tell me, but I, I, in my experience, many caregivers uh, are wired in. I mean, they're they're up to date on, on knowing how to use smartphones and technology and so forth, and they eagerly embrace anything like that that becomes a tool for us. Um, I know I do, and, and I am um, 
you know, I have uh, uh, doors that are locked on my house with uh, that I control with my phone and so forth. And that, that, that sounds like a simple thing, but it's not because my wife's in a wheelchair. For her to come to the door and let somebody in, it's a very difficult thing. If I've got a, you know, a friend coming to see her, she just has to get through a wheelchair and yada, yada, yada. I could, they could call me, and I could just unlock the door right there and let them in and go take care of her or whatever. Uh, little things like that, video camera, video monitor, because yes. the families are spread out, um, and, and uh, sensors and, and, and all kinds of things that are available. These are things, it's not just, a, what I want to do is offer practical help. Mm-hmm. I want to I give them practical resources of people who could make their life a little bit easier, and then I want to also uh, then start weighing in on things of the heart. Uh, <clears throat> on my show, <clears throat> one of my sponsors, for example, does uh, heating home cooling, electrical, plumbing, and all that kind of stuff, and they have a service that comes out four times a year to check the plumbing, check the heating, check the cooling, you know, make sure everything's in working order, flush out the water heater, all that kind of stuff. Well, why is that important for caregivers? Well, when, if mom's watching dad, who's watching the water heater? Yes. And, and, yeah. and, and when, when's a good time for a single mother with a special needs child to be uh, without heat? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and so it, it preventive maintenance is a key, and that, those are practical things to help ensure things are going on, uh, a gutter cleaning and so forth. When's a good time for a caregiver to be up on the roof cleaning the gutters? Especially when they're half, you know, you know, feeling half dead and, because they're not getting the sleep. So you've got a, a sleepy, usually overweight, yes. out-of-shape caregiver up on the roof with a blower trying to clean out the leaves. Right, exactly. You know? Just an accident waiting to happen there. And that case in point, what happens when the caregiver gets sick? Well, and, and, and many caregiving scenarios are about one sprained ankle away from it turning into a Greek tragedy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what I'm on a mission to do is, is to equip caregivers with the vocabulary to identify what help looks like and infuse them with the courage to do so. And then I'm also simultaneously working to equip non-caregivers with the vocabulary of what it looks like to help a caregiver and then infuse them with the incentive to go and help them. Right. Uh, and, and so now we're, now we're getting very specific on how we're helping. We're not just saying, hey, let me know if there's something I can do for you. Well, now I've got to think of something for you to do and then hope you'll do it and hope you'll not mess it up so I'll have to clean it up after you leave, knowing that you're not going to do it for a very long period of time because you're going to get tired of doing it and you're going to walk away and I'm going to be stuck with it again. Right. So that's the wrong way to handle it. Instead, I'm going very specific on stuff that, the, you know, if you know a single mother with a special needs child, and unfortunately that's, a, that's an all-too-common scenario mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, check in with her regularly and make sure her car maintenance is up to date and offer to help with that. Get it to the shop. Make sure things are, uh, are working properly. You know, how, that all of a sudden now you've gone from being just a – uh, you know, somebody in the stands watching this thing and saying, yay, team, from a distance, to being an active participant in this person having a a good infrastructure around them. Exactly. I mean, there's a simple thing as even doing someone shopping for them. I mean, I know that there are some places now where you can order online or get delivered to you, and that's great if you're in that kind of area, but you might not be. So, you know, there is the other thing of, like, you know this person is trapped in their house. It's very hard for them to get out. Um, Why don't you offer to buy them their weekly groceries? Um, You know, where is the big deal? You're already shopping for yourself. 
an extra basket, right? I mean, simple things, even coming in, hey, let me help you with the laundry, because they've still got all the housework to do, as well as all the caregiving to do. And we forget that uh, the chores that they have to do all the time are probably even more so than they normally would be. So there's so much we can do in support. You know, I'm very much about the village mentality. The village is only as good as everybody participates in it. And I think we have to get back to that village mentality and uh, not look at, oh, that poor soul, let's advert our eyes. Um, That poor soul, what can we do to make that person's life better? Um, And step up. Uh, We're really asking people to step up. Don't offer to clean their house. Offer to send a service that will do it that is licensed, bonded, and insured. Mm-hmm. And, you know, little things like that. You know, and, and you're exactly right, Sarah. And this is what I'm on a mission to do to help equip folks with the, uh, the understanding of a caregiver's world. And then once we get a caregiver to a kind of a place of safety where they can catch their breath, then you start, we start chiseling away at that. Uh, and all the scars around their heart to help them start breathing a little bit from a heart level and understand that, you know, we're going to get them healthy emotionally as well to a place where they can, we're going to work with them until they, they have to do it themselves, but we're going to support them in that journey, encourage them and, and so forth. And what does it mean to, to have a healthy heart as a caregiver? Yeah. And so many caregivers are, are what I, are they're driving around in what I call the fog of caregivers and that's fear, obligation, and guilt. And, and those three things just absolutely uh, derail us. I mean, we, it, it, is, it is, you know, what's the first thing you do? You get fog up there in British Columbia. When you come to a fog bank on the road, what's the first thing you need to do? Slow down. Exactly. And, 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 and unfortunately, we did, so if, if, don't put on your high beams, turn down your low beams and slow down because you'll end up in a ditch or in a tree yes. and, and, or off a cliff. And so many caregivers are going full speed in a fog. And it's only a matter of time before they hurt themselves and the one they love. And so what I try to give them is slow down. You don't have to fix what's going to happen next week. That's fear. We're living in the wreckage of our future. It hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. We're going to deal with right here and right now today, right now. And we're going to do the next right thing. And the next right thing may be just to take a nap. Just yes. pull over, just take a nap. Have a bowl of soup and take a nap. <laughs> and, uh, well, you're dealing um, a great deal sometimes with caregivers, the guilt. You know, I can't take any time for myself. You know, it's, yeah. it's all about, you know, the patient, the person. It's uh, for me to take a nap or for want to go to a see movie or just go out and see friends for half an hour. It, that's selfish. And that kind of guilt has to be gone, well, doesn't I, it? And, and, and I understand that better than most. That's why I feel such a responsibility to get this message out there because they won't listen to everybody else tell them that. But mm-hmm. they will most likely listen to a 30-year caregiver with my resume tell them that it's okay for you to take a nap. Exactly. In fact, it's not only okay, it's imperative. Yes. And, and, and if the, you know, I got a chapter in my book that says they're going to fall because you can't ensure that they're not going to fall, that they're not going to get hurt. You cannot live your life 24-7 on call all the time to make sure nothing bad happens to them. You do the best you can with it, but ultimately things are just going to happen, and you're going to have to deal with it the best you can. But they may not make it, but you have to. Yes. And that sounds harsh, and I don't mean it harsh, but, but it's it, reality. But we, it is. And, you know, somebody, I, I, a reporter was asking me one time, Sarah, said, uh, what is the hardest thing for you as a caregiver? And, I mean, you think about all the things that we've dealt with, 
that I rattled off earlier. Well, hands down, the toughest thing that I deal with the caregiver is learning what is mine and what is not mine to carry. Mm-hmm. That is that is the hardest. That is a that's like nailing Jello to the wall. I mean, you talk about a moving target too. I mean, it every day it's it's a it's a day where I overreach or underreach or whatever. What is mine? What 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 is mine and what is my wife's? How do I stay out of the business of trying to control everything? And sometimes we think we're being helpful, but helpful is just the sunny side of control. Mm-hmm. You know, we we caregivers tend to wrestle with control issues pretty significantly. And any caregiver that tells you they don't, well, they're still in denial and they're they're not they're not accepting reality because we do, we do. And I have yet to meet a caregiver who does not have control issues. But and I'm not castigating them for it. I'm just simply saying, all right, let's accept it. All right, let's deal with it. Now let's back it off a little bit and see what we can do to be in a healthier place. I, I mean, didn't do this to my wife. I right. can't undo it. Exactly. And the thing is about the control issues. It's not like you need to be in control. It's a way that you think you need to manage things is by being in control. And the, what you're saying is you can only control what's in front of you right now. And if you try and lay everything out as being in control, as you said, of what's going to happen tomorrow or the next week or the week after, you, you're spending your future, but you're also putting so much strain and stress upon yourself that at some point you're going to snap. Well, I can, um, I can only control my thoughts, words, and deeds. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I have control of. I can't control Gracie's injuries, her body, her, her, her decisions, or anything else. Uh, I can't do all those things. And we we think we, we, we have to be this way because of – we'll go back to the fear, fear, obligation, and guilt, that fog of caregivers. We're in so much fear that if we don't do this, it's all going to fly apart and that it's going to go kaplooey. And I have found, my experience, and this is 31 years, that it's never as bad as I think it's going to be, but it's often not as good as I would hope it would be. Right. But it's, some, it's somewhere in that squishy middle. And and um, it, it is what it is. But if I live in fear of what will happen if I don't do this, then what I'm doing is uh, I'm basically just paralyzing myself and being held hostage by things that haven't even happened yet. Yeah. And and it sounds a little bit trite and a little bit too easy, and I don't mean it that way. And, and for all the caregivers that are listening right now, and, and I, I don't mean to say that it's just so easy we just – you know, we just ignore the future. We plan for the future, we prepare for it, but we don't live in it. Right. It's a daily, literally living in the now, which is actually what we tell everybody to live in, live in the present. It is the gift. Now, so many people I've interviewed that are facing these challenges in life, um, mothers mostly, um, who, you know, the children, autism or something has happened, and the husbands leave because they cannot take it. Um, that is, you know, an added thing that's added to a caregiver when all of a sudden they're completely on their own and, the, you know, they, the other spouse couldn't stay. What do you say to that? Because that's, you know, that's kind of, well, a, a, you know, a lack of, not only a lack of support, but a, uh, you know, a heartbreak in itself. It is. And I, I think couple of things. I think that to that mother who's been left by that husband, and I've seen it the other way around too, mm-hmm. but mostly the, the, most, the more common scenario is when, when the husband leaves. And, I, and I, it's tragic. It's heartbreaking. So here's how we deal with it. One is we, we recognize 
that it is what it is, and it's not our fault, and it's not because of that disabled child or whatever. It is a reflection of the character of the person who left. Yeah. Period. End of discussion. That this is no matter. You, I, one of the things I say in my book is you, you don't get a free pass to be an ass right. if you're a caregiver. Yes. You know, like you, you, you can use that one anytime you want, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, you, don't, you don't get a free pass to be an ass. No matter how painful it is, no matter how bad it is, no matter what the person's acting like, you still are in control of your own behavior. And if you choose to abandon this mother with, her, with your disabled child, then this is a reflection on you, not because of this other person. Now, right. that being said, let me talk to that caregiving mom or that caregiving spouse or whoever that's been left holding the bag. Uh, two things to do. Uh, make sure that you aggressively, legally go after this individual and make sure they are fulfilling financial responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Hands yeah. down. Hands down. No question. No guilt. No mercy. Nothing. It is. This is the way it's got to be. It's like putting tires on a car. Okay. You don't have to get emotionally involved in it. You don't. Uh, I know it is an emotional issue, but you need to detach from that just a little bit. It would be helpful to you. You don't need to, but I, I, I would recommend it. And uh, detach from that. Realize I've got to put tires on the car. I'm not going to get emotional about it. It's got to be done. And this this person has left. They are not going to leave their financial responsibilities. And I will take the appropriate measures to not make another move until this is locked down. Right. Period. Get legal help, and th- this is not a. Ch- you're not. Don't 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 worry about being benevolent or putting a hardship on that individual. That's their decision. They got to figure that out. Okay. That's it. End of discussion. You're not there to to uh, to to give them a free pass at being an ass. They, they're going to, if they bought that ticket, they're going to take that ride. Right. In, all right, that's number one. Number two, get significant counseling and support for yourself. You're going to need that to get through this because you're going to have to rewire some things in your brain that somehow think this is all your fault or if you had done this or if you had done this or did this. That, those feelings of rejections and what you, what you think you should have done, I should have done this, I should have done that, I should have done that, we should have all over ourselves, and we don't need to do that. We, we back up and realize that was their decision. They made that decision. I have responsibilities to this child. I have responsibilities to myself, and I'm going to do what is healthy for me, and you are not going to be able to do that alone, and you're not going to be able to white-knuckle yourself through it, so get some professional help. Yes. That's the way. That's the way you deal with that. If that's your scenario, and do not feel guilty for it, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm begging you, and I'm telling you, with 31 years of caregiving, do not feel guilty for this. You have a responsibility to your own heart to be healthy. Well, There's you, you no can't help anyone else if you are broken and down, right? It's a, if you want to be there for that loved one, then you must be there for yourself. Otherwise, they'll you'll expire. You know, it's the that, oxygenate yourself, isn't it? That child did not ask to be abandoned by somebody who was a selfish or lack of character. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask for that. And since you are the only person standing between that child and even worse disaster, the burden, I'm sorry, but the burden is on you to go ahead and make sure that that child is financially provided for. And if that 
deadbeat father or whoever it is uh, chooses to be flagrant in this, then I, I think it's it's not only um, uh, permissible. I think it's imperative that they feel the full weight of what they've done. Yeah. And if that means they go to jail, so be it. So be it. That's that's. I'm real and I'm sorry, but I'm not real sorry. Right. Yes. No. I mean, it's you know, it's. Um People who abstain from any form of responsibility. I mean, you have plenty of, you know, people who walk out on their spouses, leaving, you know, people hold, holding the bag of children healthy, never mind unhealthy. And it's it's wrong. You know, you you enjoyed the fun. You're going to pay the price, mate. You know, uh, this is a life you're it talking is. about, you know. And it's, it is not, it's not vengeful. Mm-hmm. It's a reckoning. Exactly. It's a reckoning. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, you made the choice. That's fine. That's your choice. I can't stop you from doing the wrong thing, but I am not going to stand in the way of you having the consequences of this either. No. Everybody has to take responsibility for their actions right. in life. And, and, you and what, know, yeah. what happens is caregivers feel this overwhelming sense of, I've got to bear the brunt of your bad decisions. Right. Which is not so. Mm-hmm. And and what if if I if I do nothing else in this entire interview with you, but help caregivers, uh, my fellow caregivers, get over this martyr complex? Yeah, we don't need to do this. We don't need to stand in front of that bullet. Okay, uh, that is that is not helpful to anybody because what it will do is it will, uh, and that's that obligation. Go back to fear, obligation, and guilt. That that fog. We feel obligated that we've somehow got to, to do this. I got here's how you know if you're dealing with obligation. I need to, I got to, I, I I got to, I must, I have to. We're not obligated to stand in front of somebody else's bullet. Mm-hmm. Okay? But what we can do instead is practice stewardship. I didn't do this to, to my wife. She was hurt before I ever met her. I'm gonna be the best steward of this situation. I'm gonna be the best steward of me. I am not more important than she is, but I am going to focus on what is important, and that stewardship of being of the resources that I have. And if this fellow decided to abandon this particular woman with her disabled child, guess what? I'm going to be the best steward of this, make sure this child is protected, that is my responsibility, and make sure that I am protected. And if we got to go after this guy, we got to go after him. Right. And And maybe – the full weight of this landing on him will, will work in his heart and cause him to repent and step up and do the right thing and give him an opportunity to become a better person through it. Precisely. If not, that's okay. Right. One way or the other. Uh, that's his choice. Yes. But I'm not, I'm not obligated to make it easier for him. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think the other thing that's very, very important for caregivers is um, not to try and manage it all on your own, is to ask for help. And sometimes you may not be that savvy person on the computer that can look up at what the latest or, you know, tools and techniques or uh, places of support around the corner. You know, um, ask your friends who are, would you please look up for any form of support or anything that you see out there that could be of help? Delegate. Um, what you need to other people because most of the time people really do want to help. They just don't know how. So let them know how and in what way you need help. Let me give a little hint to everyone that is listening right now. Last I checked, if you look up the word caregiver speaker, caregiver author, and caregiver radio, I come up first on Google. Mm-hmm. So you, if you don't know how to use a computer, you tell somebody to go up and look up those terms and they will get to me. And I will offer you 
all kinds of information that is easy to understand. I'll walk you through it. I'm on live every Sunday afternoon. I've got books out there. I've got podcasts. I've got a YouTube channel. I've got it all. Right. So just short, easy clips. Help is only a mouse click away. Exactly. And if you and if you don't know how to click a mouse, I bet you know ten people that do. Exactly. And just tell them to look up this crazy guy named caregiver named Peter, who's a caregiver. I promise you, you will find me. And uh, I will. I am putting out so much content, Sarah, because this is all I do. Somebody said, "Aren't you afraid you'll li- limit your audience?" By just talking to caregivers, I said, well, when I exhaust the 65 million U.S. caregivers, I'll look at expanding my audience. Right, exactly. But, <laughs> but right now, there is, there, is a, there is a group of people out there, a vast number and growing group of people who are just broken. They're weary. They're weeping. They're, they're, they're drowning. And I know what that feels like in ways that many of them will never know. Okay, now what and, do you what do you say right now? Because you know I've got your great little clip you have here about bigly. It's you know so bigly um, um, making a little pun there, which I liked. So I wanted that YouTube to be put up there. But you it's know, huge. It, it's so it's huge. huge. It's yes, going to get so huger. Huge, yes. <laughs> it's going to get huger. Believe me, it's a big problem. And people that don't think it's a big problem, they're a bunch of losers. Believe me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Precisely, <laughs> and it takes one to know one. Yes, um, you, th- you think that you think that's good? You ought to hear my Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, actually, I could definitely hear some Bill Twin- Clinton twang in that voice. So I bet Listen. that would be a good one. Um, Listen, but you know, you, you, you got you, it, Sarah. Your failure, <laughs> and he'd have a lot more support. We're looking at in America right now of all your Medicare and support being thrown out the window. Um, which must be absolutely, you know, horrific, you know, for you right now, and all the caregivers out there that are needing help. You know, just well, I went, I wasn't aware that it was being thrown out the window. Don't tell me, tell me about that. I'm not familiar with that. <laughs> well, it just seems that the whole medical system of support um, is just seems well, to be under under fire here. Well, it is. The, the Obamacare thing has been a real challenge for me personally. Uh, not for my wife, but it's for me as a caregiver, because what it what it was it, it was it was a political agenda being driven, not without without any understanding of who the caregiver was dealing with. So I, I had an insurance company, for example, for years, and I was going along just trucking along fine, and all of a sudden Obamacare comes along and they raise my rates. I was like, oh crap! So I got to go pay more money, and then I end up I end up going to another program within the marketplace, and then they left the marketplace. So now I got to go forage for another thing, and I end up going with a different group. I went with a much different system of MediShare, which I think is a much better uh, program. It's uh, for for caregivers. And um, but what what happens is is that Washington again they make these blanket sweeping changes, but they don't ask the people that are in the in the trenches all day long. And I think there's just way too much input from the pharmaceutical companies 100%. and special interests like that. And so this is what's frustrating me. And this is not a this is not a um, a thing where people feel like they gotta take sides. Well I'll be the for Trump or I'm against Trump right. or I'm for this or for that. Let me let me let, let's just put it in the healthcare arena. You know, think about all these advertisements on television about pharmaceuticals, for example. Oh wait, wait I have to what? give you one I have to give you one I absolutely love. You know, depression hurts, depression kills. However, if you take this, the side effects could be suicide. It yeah. just kills me. It just kills well, me. Or 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 uh it could be uh, 
uh, explosive diarrhea. Now, that's not going to cure my depression. I'm telling you that right now. It's, uh, you take this when you go to bed at night. I'm thinking, I don't want to wake up to this. And, and, and so, you know, but you think about why are these people advertising to exactly. me? Exactly. I'm not, I'm not a medical. I, I was a music major. You know, I, I, I'm a very good pianist, Sarah. I'm not a doctor. Now, I may, with a name like Rosenberger, I've been called Dr. Rosenberger many times, and I tell people I'm a cranial proctologist, which means I help people get their heads out of it. Well, never mind. You know what it is. And, oh, and, God, have you got you a know, job cut out for you there? <laughs> but, but it's, you know, you think about why are they advertising to me? Go ask your doctor. Well, no, no, you ask the doctor. You tell the doctor what's best for me. I don't have time to do the doctor's job, too. And I think it's I think it's inappropriate. And I'm I'm dealing with this thing of uh, let's let's go back to this opioid issue. Here's how I know things are broken. Um, the opioid issue they will they will pay. My wife's in, in intractable pain. I mean she's in pain all the time. Now she's got a pain specialist right now, and I've worked with four of them over the years. And this one she's got is very very good, and he's been able to whittle her off of a lot of these opioids, and we're going with alternative stuff, which Excellent. I I'm. I'm a firm believer in, okay? She had, she had another pain specialist that got her loaded up on all these opioids. This one's been able to pull her down, and, her, her, and she's a lot clearer-minded. She's, she's a lot more functional, but she's in a lot more pain, but, but it's, her head's clear. So she could be out of pain today. The problem is she wouldn't be able to function. Right. So, so you gotta, when you have a chronic pain patient, it, it's, it's not a, you can't just turn the spigot off on these people. But you've got to have some smarts, and you've got to help the caregiver know how to navigate it. Well, Medicare, for example, will, will pay for thousands of dollars of opioids every month. They'll do it right now. If, if she was on opioids, they'd pay for it. We'd justify it. But, for, but I've been wanting to do alternative things like a lidocaine patch, for example, to put a lidocaine patch on the affected areas where she has such tremendous arthritis like in her joints and so forth, but they won't pay for that. Well, we're talking hundreds versus thousands. No, I'm, I'm, and, I'm going to have to t- uh, totally agree and give you my story here. Is I suffer from arthritis and fibromyalgia, and uh, they went the um, synthetic marijuana way f- with me. And instead of giving me um, a sample of pills to see whether I could take them or not, um, you know, whether it was conducive, they gave me a whole load of pills. And when I found out how much it was. It was covered under my medical. It was $960 worth of pills. And I couldn't take them. You know, two or three of them, my head I felt was just 10 times the size. And it's like, you give me that. You give me that. Not even a small dose to test it and see whether it works or not. You give me the whole goddamn lot. But you won't give me the physiotherapy that I need that I know that works. And that's less evasive on my body. Well, and here's another one. There's an anesthetic drug that her doctor, well, of course, lidocaine is a topical anesthetic, but there's an anesthetic drug that, lidocaine, uh, that, that, that her doctor wants to do with an infusion with her about every two months. And she does it for about two months, and, it, and what it does is it just calms all the nerve receptors down, and, but it's not addictive. It's, it's infused. It's not a pill, so it's not, in, it's not affecting her GI tract or anything like that, and it's really cheap. Mm-hmm. But they don't. But they're and they'll pay for it. But they're paying the doctor pennies for it, so it's not cost effective for the physician to do it. And yet they will pay for an office visit where the physician will write thousands of dollars with yes, opioids. Exactly. Now, that's what's wrong right. with the system. Exactly. And we need to go back and say, well, what is the goal here? Is the goal here to just sling pharmaceuticals out at people, or is the goal to help people with intractable pain? live a better quality of life without 
creating financial and chemical dependence and all that kind of stuff. And, well, I mean, and it so that's why ask, I'm, isn't it? <laughs> Anybody that's associated well, it with does. the pharmaceutical I mean, if you're, kickbacks. If you're a pharmaceutical, yeah. yeah, if you're a pharmaceutical company, you want to do that. And if, if somehow you've been able to lobby Medicare to be able to do this and so forth. So, so the, there is a swamp in Washington where all these people are getting rich at the expense of other people. Yeah. Look at the, They just came out with the five richest counties in America. And guess where they are? They're right outside Washington, D.C. Right. No, no, Washington, D.C. Yes. The five richest counties in America are right outside Washington, D.C. Now, ex- explain that without saying uh, special interest in corruption. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that so, language you know, exists. And, and I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat here. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I, I'm just looking at this from a practical standpoint. I have cared for a very sick woman for a very long time. I understand the principles of caring for sickness and having to learn to make healthy decisions. Our country is sick. You started off the beginning of the show with something about how our country is sick. Yeah. Lady, Lady Liberty is sick. What does it look like to help Lady Liberty get well? And it looks like, first of all, that we've got to start making responsible decisions. We are $20 trillion in debt. Now, how does that help America stay healthy in a in a global economy? Mm-hmm. You know, and and you could look at so everybody looks at Trump as this guy or Clinton as this guy or Obama. Obama gave us an extra ten trillion dollars in debt. I'm just these are the facts. I'm not here to point fingers at anybody. But, say, but look, here's where we are. Now, how do we move away from this? We got to. We have got to force the United States government to start living within its means. They've got to stop raising taxes and start cutting their own expenditures. It's not enough to just give tax cuts to the people. That's good. But they got to cut their own they got to tighten their own belt. Well, be a little they've, more they've also got and, to tax the, the richer people and stop giving them breaks because well, then you'll actually have some true. money that will fund some of these organize, um, well, programs. True, but I've never noticed that for some reason Washington keeps spending. They won't stop mm-hmm. spending. And even if you take all the rich people's money, Washington will spend that into oblivion. Yes, they've it's got, where they they've put the got money. to stop spending so much money on stupid things. And let's go back to just the opioid issue. We are spending. They, if if my wife continues to take opioids, they will continue to pay for her to go in and have GI issues and all that kind of stuff in in care hospitalizations. I went to her prosthetist. This is a prosthetist that makes prosthetic legs. There's an ambulance out back. Now, I said, what's the matter? And they said, this is some time ago. They said, uh, uh, they said, well, we had a patient here. And I said, well, they all right? He said, yeah. And they said, well, well, why the ambulance? Well, they needed a ride. And I just stopped and let that sink in for just a moment. I took off time for my work, mm-hmm. vacation time, and went home and got my wife, took her over there, and got her there, and these people are taking an ambulance and charging it to the government. Yeah, and I'm thinking that's the kind of stuff that's got to stop. If they don't, if they could just stop throwing money away, but they do this because the political system has become so corrupt that if you vote for me, I will give you this. Mm-hmm. Versus, we're going to have to be better stewards of what we have. Right. Of the resources we have, if the I've never gotten a job from a poor man, so if the guy's rich, uh, you know, so be it. But the, I, I'm okay with 
people taxing, being paid pay their fair share. Taxes are an important part of our – we want to have nice streets and nice military and nice education system and all that kind of stuff, and I'm okay with all that. But the point is is that these guys are using that as, a, as they're weaponizing this and not being – held responsible for their own spending. We just found out that they were settling sexual harassment oh, yeah, stuff no. with our money and not telling us about exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. You know, and so how much more? You know, you said, well, it was only 85000 Well, 85000 is a lot of money. Yes. To me, to me. Yes. And so how many more $85,000 pots do we have out there? And these guys are very free with money that is not theirs. But it's also, again, you're going back to the pharmaceutical, as you say, they'll pay for the drugs, which are so much more expensive. And then the side effects and all the treatments because of the side effects and, and never mind the, you know, the, the welfare of the person and what they're putting them through, they'll pay for all of that. But all of this other alternative and, and wonderful, and believe me, I've interviewed them, of people with most beautiful techniques that can reduce pain, that can cure cancer, that can help people with uh, all sorts of ailments in their life. It's all here. Um, nobody will fund them or fund what they, well, I, they're doing. You know, look, at, look at the benefits of yoga. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Take out everything else. Just the benefits of yoga with people who have mobility impairments. Now, it may they not they're not going to be able to bend themselves into pretzels like some people can. Right. But just stretching and engaging yes. your body in this way. Why is that not a a, a you know a, a pathway that they are, are they are putting on the table? We cannot continue to treat things acutely uh, for the moment. They will pay for a an emergency room visit for people who are going there for a hangnail. Mm-hmm. And the, gov- the government is so screwed up. If you, if you want to see what's wrong with the United States healthcare system, go to the emergency room and then look and see how many of these people actually have some type of health insurance that they're actually paying for or engaged with or trying to be responsible for themselves to keep their costs down. They don't because it's not. They're not having to pay for it. So why why should I be a good steward of something? You don't value what you don't pay for. We have a prosthetic limb ministry in in West Africa, and I was over there in in, in Ghana, and I remember when I, I wanted to give prosthetic limbs to everybody because the need is pretty great. But I partnered with their government and we we train and equip their local workers to do this. And I remember the head of the agency said. Don't you can't give it away because if you give it away, they won't value. They have to invest something into it, or they won't value it. Now that's a that's a basically a socialist country over there in West Africa telling me that mm-hmm. they have to have some kind of buy-in. Do we require people to have some type of buy-in into their own health care? That's a, that's an issue for me, and I, I don't see that we do. I think I think that uh, we do for certain population groups, the very rich don't care the very poor don't care the middle class does right and 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 the very poor don't care because they don't have to pay for it they don't have to pay for that ambulance to come pick it up they don't have to pay a deductible to go into the emergency room for a hangnail right this is what's happening to our system and i know this probably surprised you i took a different direction you probably thought i would but no no no. I, i just look at this from a practical standpoint of i am and i go back to this husband that abandons his wife I am all for letting people feel the consequences of their own decisions and not sparing them. I have worked multiple jobs over the years to take care of my wife and to make sure that her health needs were taken care of. She did not go on disability until five years ago. She's been hurt since 83. I worked, Sometimes I would carry two policies on her and be working 
two jobs sometimes to do this. I'm not comfortable, Sarah, subsidizing people who are willing to do less than right. I did. Well, I mean, we've and, all got and, to have accountability, don't we? We all have to stand up and be counted, you know, for what is our participation? What is our interaction? What are, what are we taking and what are we giving back? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people financially that are terribly strapped and they can't afford it. I mean, I saw, you know, a, a video today yep. of a woman who wants to die because she hasn't got the money for her treatment. So she said, just let me die then. And, you know, we have that dire straits. But there's always another way that you can give back. And there we- is. And, and Washington would be better served if they would start looking to strengthen their system instead of just keep letting it flow out of it and spending and spending and spending. But instead, let's start cutting some of these fraud things. Let's start if, – if, if you really think it's an opioid crisis, then by God, act like it. Right, exactly. And start – and start helping people get off of these expensive opioids and start living a healthier life with alternative treatments. So therefore, you're strengthening the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, medical system so that we can help this woman who is in such dire straits that she just wants to die. Right. I mean, but, you but know, the other thing we, we, have, to, we have to look at. Money. Exactly. Ahead, no, but, I mean, with the opioid, I interviewed one woman whose daughter um, became an addict. Um, and then she was shot by her boyfriend. And while in the hospital, she said, this is my life changing around. And her mother thought, great, you know, she's going to come back and we're going to heal. We're going to do all of that. But they put her on opioids. She then became addicted to opioids that went to heroin, that went to everything else. That A few years later, she ended up with three bullets in her um, and shot dead. It's If you know you have an addictive person there, why are you giving them an addictive drug? Where is the responsibility of the medical people? People to actually look at the whole patient and know that if I give this such an addictive drug to this person, I could send them off on another another avenue here. You know, we you and talked about the doctors and the pharmaceutical. Half the time, the doctors are prescribing drugs they know nothing about because the pharmaceutical people have sold them a bill of goods. And if they had just taken a moment to ask the caregiver, exactly. Because the caregiver, this goes all the way back to the beginning of the conversation we had. Mm-hmm. The caregiver is with that person 24-7. They know the history. They know all these things. Right. And that they would just take an extra moment. But here's, here's the rub. So many of these doctors are on a quota of how many patients they got to see during the day. Mm-hmm. Because the insurance companies have demanded certain things in order to keep their costs down and overhead and all that kind of stuff. And we're not allowing people to practice medicine anymore. We're putting people on an assembly line. And this yes. guy does only this part and this guy. It, it, it's basically... There's not the whole patient Hen- anymore, yeah. yeah. It's Henry Ford's idea of building a car attached to the human body. Yes. And you have that patient not only has a whole body, but they have a whole infrastructure of relationships. And if you discard those relationships and just treat that person's wrist, for example, I mean, that's probably a bad example, but if you just treat one segment of that person, you're going to end up paying for it on the back end, and this is where we are in our healthcare system. Right. We have treated such specificity in one issue and said, well, that's not my job for the rest of it. And I say, nay, nay. I say it is our job. It is our job as society. And caregivers have authority. And I want caregivers to learn to wield that authority. It's so important you do this, that you speak of. You may not know the science of what your loved one is going through, but you know your loved one. And you have a PhD in them. And it's okay for you to raise your hand and say, Doc, I don't know what 
I'm even saying here, but something's wrong, and I'm not leaving here until we address it. Yeah. And I, but that that's, takes but a that's lot of gumption. It, but, but that's actually, you know, as as a patient, even just as a patient, let's leave caregivers aside right now, be a caregiver of yourself. Um, we go into the doctors, you know, they're, they're busy, ready, out the door to the next patient. Um, you tell them your symptom and you can't really describe it very well because you really don't know what's happening to you. Oh, you must have this prescription. There you go. And, and, you know, the patient feels intimidated. It's very often they feel kind of belittled or played down. And immediately it's a drug and out you go the door. How many people have got so many drugs in their drawers that have never worked because they're the wrong drugs for the wrong problem because nobody's bothered to give them any time? So, yes, we have to fix that system. Um, well, one medical professor said to a friend of mine who was, when he was in med school, he said, you show me a drug without a side effect and I'll show you a drug with no effect. They're mm-hmm. all going to have some kind of side effect, and I understand that sometimes it's a, it's appropriate. Sometimes it's that way, but 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 see, I'm a I'm a fairly aggressive person, Sarah, as you can probably tell. I'm I have a second degree black belt, and, and and I'm but I'm on a mission to help other caregivers learn to be as assertive and not be intimidated to right. to go ahead and say, hey, look. I know you're busy, and I know you got to see other patients, but I've been waiting out in your waiting room with those 30-year-old magazines, and I'm going to ask you some questions. And if you can, and I, I remember the first time I actually had to stand up to a surgeon. I was 26 years old. I mean, I was just a kid. And I looked at this surgeon, and I said, dude, I need some help here, and if you're not the person to help me, I need you to tell me right now. And I, was, I, I didn't let him know how, I was, how afraid I was, but I was. I was intimidated. Yes. I mean, this is a surgeon. Yes. And, and, and you know what? He said, no problem, I'm the guy, I'll help. And he went and sat down with my wife for an hour and a half and just talked with her and just spent some time and, and helped serve as a coach. And then I remember another another doctor gave me some attitude one time, and I looked at him and said, with all due respect, buddy, I was taking care of her when you were in junior high school, so let's keep this thing in perspective here, all right? Mm-hmm. And, and, to, and, and granted, I'm a guy, Sarah. I can get away with that sometimes. It's not as easy in the misogynistic world, and, I, and I, I'm very sympathetic to that. But that doesn't mean that we can't do it. Right. And it just takes a little bit of extra ingenuity. And I think it's time for caregivers to stand up for ourselves and realize we're doing something extraordinary. We are, we are doing it without pay. They estimate that we are three or $400 billion worth of unpaid labor in the U.S. alone. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we're, we're doing something extraordinary. We're doing it out of love. And real people are getting hurt. And we're going to have to be smart. We, when you're dealing with somebody with a long-term issue that's not going to go away and it's not going to get better on its own, and right now I want to speak more like to the, the traumatic brain injury programs and, 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 and autism and, and, and all these other things, where quadriplegia, spina bifida, all these other things where you have long-term stuff going on. You're going to have to hunker down for the long haul, educate yourself, and then empower yourself, and there will be people like me and like others who are going to come along like you, Sarah, who are going to also infuse you with that encouragement to continue to empower yourself, to be able to speak on behalf of this person you love so much that you're putting your own wallet, heart, life, job, and everything between them and even worse disaster. Right, exactly. This is, this is what I'm on a mission to do. Right. And, and politics and everything, these people are not your friends. They are not there cleaning up in the middle of the night when you're having to deal with vomit and everything else. They're not there. And they may talk a good game. But until they're putting as much skin in the game as you are, you still have the authority, and you can push back on these folks. And together, as a as a as a 
as a cohesive voice, we can push back on them a little bit more. But that is precisely it, is the reason why both of us do these these shows. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I've actually moved to Toronto, uh, because I want to further bring a voice to all these uh, causes and people and uh, and just, you know, not have people turn their head because it's not their interest. It, this affects us all. Uh, you know, one person down in the bunker, everybody's down in the bunker. And you know, we've got to be there for each other. And the other thing is, you know, if... I know you're traumatized right now when something has just happened to you and you don't know what and you're having to just deal with the magnitude of it. But the reason why you and I do these type of shows is that you're learning from people who have been there, who have done that, who know the toolkit, who know the people to speak to, who can give you the advice. They can empower you. They can inspire you. They can be your comrade, um, your extra support. And then when you're strong enough, you can be that voice for someone else. And this is the reason why we do what we do and the reason why these shows should be shared out amongst everybody. You know, if you have just been landed being a caregiver, hand these shows off to other people and say, you want to understand what I'm going through? You want to understand the fight that I have in front of me? Listen to this show and then step up with your support. Because if you don't ask for support, you won't get it. Be willing to ask for it. Well, I, I could not agree more with you, Sarah. And, you know, you know, I, I, and I think you know that I'm fairly aggressive now on behalf of caregivers and for caregivers and so forth. But the reason I am is because I started speaking to my fellow caregivers out of my own mistakes, out of my own yes. journey. And every time I talk about it, I get stronger. I am stronger for doing your show than I was before I started doing your show. And that's the way it works. Mm -hmm. The more you say it, unfortunately, we caregivers listen to our own thoughts too, li too much. We listen to ourselves way too much, and we talk to ourselves way too little. We've got to say it out loud what these principles are. Yeah. I can't. I cannot listen to my own dark thoughts that much, Sarah. I've got to speak out loud these principles like I'm doing with you, and in the process, I get stronger. I, I, I get more clarity and more focus, and that's the way it works as, as caregivers. We've got to say it out loud to each other, and I am deeply grateful that you're letting me do it on your show. Oh, I'm delighted to have you here. Plus, I have an awful lot of people that would like to be on your show. Uh, and again, that is the reason why we do it, well, right? They the could, domino effect. They could, they could call in. They can call in. I'm, I'm live every Sunday afternoon. Excellent. And, you know, this is the thing, folks. It's stop waiting for the government and shining armor to come and pick you up and support you or, or, or you know, or others. And remember that, you know, this is, yeah, I'm sorry that you've been landed in this caregiving position. I'm sorry that one of your loved ones is facing whatever they're facing. But, you know, divinely, you were chosen. Uh, you, you were not given anything you couldn't handle. And this is for you to discover in your own self-discovery of how strong and how diligent and how amazing you are. But Absolutely. again, you're not meant to do it alone. You are never alone. There is an entire community here that's there to support you. You've just got to be willing to hear them and then embrace their knowledge and ask for people to help you. And as, as we said earlier, even giving them designated things of exactly what you want. So I thank you very much for the journey that you've taken. Um, obviously, you were chosen for this path. And you're not just an advocate to your wife, but to all of those caregivers out there around the world, because I know you're speaking to America, but um, this is a global show. And there are people everywhere in the world that are facing this. And some people just don't know what to do because they are so overwhelmed. So by listening to you and all the toolkit and the knowledge that you have, whether it be in America, there'll be the same systems in other countries. Um, 
And this is how you're going to get through it, folks, is by listening to someone who's been through it, who's going through it, who knows what you're going through. And you are not alone. So thank you so much, Peter, for being with us here today. Would you let everybody know when your show is, where they can find it, how they can find you? Caregivershope.com. Caregivershope.com. And the show is every Sunday afternoon on 3 o'clock at, uh, on iHeart, uh, 3 o'clock Central Time. You can stream it around the world. We just had a, a great show last week. Uh, a family from Tonga was on there. We were talking about caregiving in the kingdom of Tonga in the South Pacific. So we, uh, I, I, I get if the global need is there. And if you love somebody, you're going to be a caregiver. If you live long enough, you're going to need one. Exactly. And, and so <laughs> here's the deal. This is it. It's going to affect us all, whether you want it to or not. And Sarah, you have... It is such a privilege to do this with you, and, and you've honored me by letting me come on and speak to your audience. You've trusted me with their pain and with their heartache, and, and I'm very grateful, and let's do it again. Yes, let us do it again. We need a roundtable with a few other caregivers and kind of speaking to the voices that we need to rise up with and uh, and change the system, because unless we're willing to change the system, we're not going to be able to change anything. So it does lie within us, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Peter, and uh, wish you a very Merry Christmas, and uh, may 2018 be a year where we actually can make some of these significant changes and empower our caregivers and those that they serve. So thank you so much for being with us here well, today. You are quite welcome, and Merry Christmas to you, and 2018 will do it. We're going to do it, Sarah. Oh, We're yes. going to do it. One show at a time, one chisel at a time. You know, we're committed. One, one weary heart Until at we're a time. committed, we're committed. <laughs> All righty. Well, okay. listen, I'm going, to go, I'm going to go be a caregiver right now. Okay. Well, it's a, <laughs> so, folks, uh, um, remember, it's up to us. Uh, so let's step up and let's care. If you know somebody that is a caregiver, please let them listen to the show. You're going to be giving them so much support. So until next time, folks, bye for now.